0: Welcome to Wow. Well. I'm your host, Kayla Bradnick. I love scams and I love you. Thank you guys all for joining me in this really fun, important episode. Um, first of all, I want to say a huge thank you to our new Patreon patron, Jessica. Um, her name has a, an enormous amount of S's in it, and I don't think that's an accident. I think that is the best way you should say that name. It should be a Jessica... So that you can constantly create more space for a Jessica in your life. And so thank you so much for being a Patreon patron. Guys, we have a special Patreon fee that we update each month. We have old episodes on there. For $5, you get everything. Old episodes of Sue and I, um, new things, updates each month coming out, little tiny pieces. Or like we had Kate Spencer from Forever 35 as a guest and we'll have extra... Clips from our episode with her. And it's just a really fun time. And you get to know way too much about it. It's all the things we want to say on the podcast, but we're like, should it be that readily available to the public? Let's just, you know, keep it under a tiny little hidden corner, but also available to
2: anybody who wants it.
0: Um, Guys, I am so excited for this episode. We're doing a crossover episode with my friend Janie Stoller. And Janie has been a Um, guest before. We talked about plastic surgery scams with her and Sue last year. And Janie is, she used to be a head writer for Watch What Happens Live. She's brilliant. Like she knows Andy Cohen. Like she's just really funny, really smart. And she's starting her own podcast, which is about being the feeling that you have a certain timeline in your life to reach certain goals and that that incredible amount of pressure And her new podcast is called Iconic Timing, which is so great. And so Jeannie is talking to people and interviewing everyone about a time where things weren't of the normal status quo of when you would think something would happen in your life, either getting married way older than you expected, um, having your career start in your 50s, or having something happen when you were younger than you expected, and just this concept that I'm completely dealing with right now, that at a certain age, a certain time, you're sort of keeping up with the invisible Joneses, so to speak, that everybody thinks by this time in your life you should have. Children, certain career things settled, certain relationship goals figured out. And it was so nice. I mean, we talk very deep and it gets very personal. And it was lovely. One of our editors said it brought her, made her feel kind of weepy at times because I don't think that we talk about this as much. I don't think we talk about this enough that the pressure, no matter where we are in our lives, we still feel that there's like another amount of pressure to reach a certain goal because of what society is putting on us. And it's very interesting. So really the scam of this episode is talking about the sort of inner critic and the scam that society puts on all of us that we all have to be at the same pace the same time, the same expectations, as if all of our lives are the same, we were all raised the same, and we all have the exact same advantages. Nobody has any sort of, nobody came from any issue that would make it maybe challenging to be this iconic American dream, Um, which of course is not true. So guys, check out her podcast. I'm going to put that in the episode notes. This episode, um, I'm going to have a few notes in there, but it's really just showing you some of the fun things we talked about. I love you guys so much. Thank you for being the most amazing, amazing listeners and my friends. Enjoy. Janie, I'm so excited. So I sent you these things. These are the first thing I sent. The funnest part are TikTok celebrities now, TikTok doctors. And I think TikTok doctors are basically like where are two worlds combined <laughs> it's like because uh-huh. in tiktok yes, there yes. is like so much scam and chaos and fake but also in tiktok there's so much education and healthcare and fun and we cross over in the really fun <laughs> area and these are women who are debunking Uh, women's health issues with TikTok dances, you know, and actually saving us. And I am so excited to share it with you.
2: (laughs) I'm so excited. And I also, to that point, part of it feels dystopian when the way you're getting such important information is like, Doing a little dance Do a jig. To a song. Yeah, it it
0: sounds like the old Irish times. Like, okay, we're like, the plague is gonna get you if you don't wash your hands. And that's
2: how they survived. Yes. <laughs> and also, TikTok is such a repository for scammers and yes. grifters because these. People, like, will be giving advice and then you click their profile and they're not real doctors, They're not real people. <laughs> or you're, like, they're, like, giving relationship advice and they're just tw- some 23-year-old. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, but you know what? I will say that 23-year-old has done 45 videos in her own basement and she, her production value is great so
2: there are some <laughs> great things about them but but yeah there's so it's much It's true it's better than Dr. Oz oh my it's God. like they're getting us you know better information than Dr. Oz so who's, who's to judge, to
0: judge? I got hoodwinked yes. by a bunch of so I like this is super embarrassing and then we can I just have to out myself on my Please. TikTok experience so yes I have in this quest of I'm sure you feel this way too, Janie. That like, there's something out there that we ha- that hasn't been tapped or hasn't been tapped in the American market or hasn't been tapped in American medicine. That somebody else in some other country or some other place has figured out a trick or a catch or a way that women can live better lives. Because I, I we mm-hmm. both know that money isn't spent on women's healthcare the same way it's been spent on man and elderly healthcare. So. I have seen people tell me about their grandmother's secret, their aunt's thing, what somebody used for PCOS Mm -hmm. in Canada and like just these little TikTok things coming through, which has been so interesting to me. I did fall down one rabbit hole of um, black seed oil. What's black seed okay. oil? So, it's an oil that you put on your hair, skin, you drink. It's basically cumin seeds. And okay. it's supposed to be amazing for you. And it's supposed to heal like leaky gut issues or it's supposed to smooth your hair. And a lot of women, um, it's huge in India, I think Pakistan, I think Bangladesh. And even, there was even in a store in Astoria that the guy there was like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. You should have it. So, I started. Watching this girl's TikTok, she said she lost weight with it, which is like, hi, I'm like your number one audience. If
2: you lose weight by taking no, anything. No. hey, <laughs> anyway, spoiler alert. Oh, my heart hurts <laughs> Spoiler <bad>.
0: alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. I'm that gullible. So I start taking it and I get a very expensive one on Amazon. I did not tell Alan the price because he will oh, listen no. to this podcast and he'll be upset. So the oil was fine, I guess. I didn't actually notice a difference. It made my breath smell really bad. And then, Janie, I was consuming, I didn't realize, a day, two to three hundred extra calories of oil. Oh, it's like a Calteen bar from Mean Girls. Exactly. That yeah. is exactly it. It. it yeah. That's what it did to me. And so I don't have that shit anymore. And I'm like, I'm, it's kind of fun. Like, I know I'm going to lose a couple of pounds because I just gained oil weight. And now I'm very happy to, like, clean that drum dry.
2: Well... Oh my God, you just touched so many things that (laughs) my little heart hurts because I love you and I feel what you were talking about earlier is that money is not going to women's actual health. What it goes to is research on weight loss and quick fixes that are not at all related to health. Like at some point, people realized how much they could profit off of making women think they need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And then they found a way to make them think that that also means health when it really doesn't. And so, unfortunately, there's a million ailments in the world and Mm -hmm. the only things were offered as women in the quote-unquote wellness space are like make your skin look younger and make your body look smaller. So I just feel like – if you want to drain your money into the wellness space, those are the two Call me main up. categories, right? <laughs> I got
0: great tips.
2: Yeah. Well, also, I oh, know
0: she isn't even
2: a doctor. She was just like a 19 year old selling her own oil. <laughs> I know. I could told you that. I know. Any doctor should be disbarred if they ever have like a quick fix weight loss solution. I know. Solution. It not um, work. There's absolutely nothing. Like your body is a little machine built. The way it's built. So there's no tricks. And also, weight loss should never be a goal because a lot of the times when people are losing weight, it's because they're actually doing things that aren't treating their body well. Yeah. I'll also say on this note that I feel like there are a lot of solutions people have of like what XYZ can do for your health and what XYZ can do for your skin. Right now, there's so much plastic in our water oh genie it's so scary it's so (laughs) true we're not even the things we consume the things we touch are not even putting a dent into the mass amount of environmental toxins our ice cream is made out of like wood chips yeah there's literally like i'm sorry we are constantly consuming things that are killing us. So I kind of am a bit nihilistic about this stuff. Yeah. Like whatever. But I also, I think it's interesting. So I have like gone on a journey about weight specifically where I really don't equate because I've gone down the path of losing weight and being unhealthy and seeing what that like lifestyle was like. I really don't think like for me that weight loss is ever worthy of celebration and i feel like if i see a friend lose weight my now my instinct is to go are you okay yes. like it's like a sign that things aren't good 100% so i'm luckily not on that tiktok great sort of like vertical awesome. um that but there are some tiktoks where there is like maybe a product where because you don't in theory they're not as sponsored as instagram or at least it's not as transparent. Right. You think, oh, they must really mean it if they're endorsing this because this isn't sponsored. Yeah.
0: Well, not even in, not even endorsing. Like, there was – okay, so there was this one woman who said she did take certain – Okay, I am I am in this TikTok warm hole. Okay, well, she took a certain root and of a grape and something, and she blended it and ate it every day. And she said it cured her PCOS. Now I'm saying in the comments, multiple people said it was a Puerto Rican remedy, and multiple people said that that is how their grandmothers helps themselves when. like nobody knew what was wrong with them and that like and like and it goes back from generations and they had this special herb with this special grief and i of course i've saved it cuz i'm not really going to do it but i just thought it was amazing how also throughout families for women specifically like these sort of like secret stories come through you know like because there isn't a great way to discover ovarian cancer and there isn't enough re- research on like what is mm-hmm, an ovarian mm-hmm. cyst i mean we know what an ovarian cyst is but i will Say plainly when I found out that they qualify like five different cancers all under the umbrella of ovarian cancer, Mm -hmm. I was livid because Mm -hmm. that they say like ovarian cancer is so invasive, it's so tricky. Well, you're yeah, when you call five different cancers together, then it would be incredibly tricky. It it is the boogeyman, but like because there isn't that pinpoint financial research in each of those different types of cancers, they don't have sort of the ability to separate themselves and like even financially support the researchers to separate themselves. So in my mind, I'm like, I loved reading these comments of these, like, um, all these girls are like, what, 16 to 20. But they're saying that, like, how their grandmother, nobody listened to her. And she used mm-hmm. this root, and it helped her so much. And I'm just like, there's just so much of the the work we have to do on our own and the pressure we put on ourselves because yeah. the work hasn't been done already. And so which is bringing us to what we were talking about today. These I had all these myths I want to go over about how the medical industry has been very lazy with women's reproductive studies. And so as yes. a result, it's all put on our shoulders. So we are going to TikTok. We are looking for a valerian root to do something.
2: Yes. And then capitalism will just, like, rear its ugly head. So, like, I've done a lot of research in my own journey of deciding whether or not to freeze my I'm egg. I'm
0: so interested in this.
2: And how predatory mm-hmm. the whole approach is and all of the fudging of numbers really? to make us spend money and fear that our bodies are somehow, like, on the verge of exploding when we turn 35. You know what I yes. mean? <laughs>
0: yes. And I've, I will say, I've said it on this episode before. I mean, I've said it on this podcast before. So I will say really quickly, there. And this is a great article from BBC. And I want to get these numbers out there. Okay, it said, it's often cited that one out of three women over age 35 will not have conceived after a year of trying. The data Mm -hmm. in which the statistic is based is from 1700s France. They put together (laughs) all these church birth (laughs) records and came up with these statistics about how likely it was that someone would get pregnant after certain ages. And now these are women who had no access to modern healthcare, nutrition, or even electricity. Why would any researcher think that they could tell us something to do about modern fertility? So then in 2004... It's a new widely cited paper that found out that 82% of women between ages 35 and 39 fell pregnant within a year. Why did it take us from the 1700s to 2004 to debunk a a fact that is terrorizing women and putting this clock in our minds? So between 35 and 39,
2: 82% got pregnant within a year. That's amazing. Okay, this is literally like 150 years before Les Mis. Like if we can just visualize <laughs> what's happening in France at the time. This is so pre-Les Mis. They don't even have the technology of Les Mis. But
0: guys, they uh, this is so funny. Okay, but this graphic, okay, the graphic they use for this, the the pre-Les Mis, it says it's featured in the figures and tables section of the Nice Fertility Guideline. So in France, they're still using this in their Fertility Guideline. We don't use anything else from the 1700s. We're not using bath soap from the 1700s.
2: How is that possible? I mean, I do think like also they were, their science was so bad back then that they were able to do this kind of study. Whereas now maybe researchers are like, this is an incredibly complicated thing to study. So maybe, (laughs) maybe we just can't study it. Maybe it's just not like that easy to say. No
0: offense to like 1700 France, but like what if the guy sneezed and a bunch (laughs) of his, (laughs) no, no France, France, Uh, a bunch of like the papers got mislodged or something. Like uh, we don't know. What if women were lying? What if their husband said, Oh, yeah, she she gets pregnant all the time. And she's like, it's really he's doing it with some other lady like we, there's I'm sure the doctors did their due diligence at the time. But there had to be somebody else doing some kind of research before then.
2: A hundred percent. And I would be shocked if women live past thirty five. Yeah, that's, that's probably was part of the system. Old age too. Back then. I know they're, they're like, <laughs>
0: yeah. why are we going to take care of these? ancient ladies, you know, they're not even having sex.
2: You lost your sex drive. (laughs) Honestly, if you were, like, having a child past 13, (laughs) you were, like, an old, you were advanced maternal age in the 1700s. So advanced. Yes.
0: I just think, I think it's so crazy. I know I've cited it before on my podcast because I think it's insane, but it also is a fact that has never changed. Never changed. And never changed in ingrained in how we are treating ourselves as women, how we are concerned with other people. Yes. Even if I hear a woman, an older woman getting pregnant, I'm like, oh my god, that's so exciting because Isn't i don't it? care about it and i hope that that could be me one day and we could have something in common and it's because of this bullshit
2: i've also heard a flip an interesting thing so my friend who's 35 was horrifying me when she said she's treated as advanced maternal age because that still is the like it used to be called geriatric pregnancy yeah that would be me and if i ever get pregnant the point of my podcast is wondering uh, what the fuck guys <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> I'm not I'm not in any kind of timeline where that's a feasible idea sure. because I'm going to be 36 and I it's am a gorgeous age so far out from any marker where that would be an option. So she's 35 and she was like, it's interesting because when you're considered advanced maternal age, there's also some benefits yeah. because doctors do more scans. <laughs> no, they do. And they pay more attention they to do. you. So the benefit of crossing that threshold is you actually get better health care.
0: You do. You, you're you treated like a delicate, uh, fearful woman whose blood is going to explode at any moment. Like it's, just,
2: it's like, which honestly, every yeah, woman should be treated well, like. Well, not treat more
0: delicately. I know. Why does it take like the fear of like, I don't know, maternal death to have us be yes. given more scans? Now, I will say when I had Lewis. I was 32, 3, and I had all these scans, and I wanted the extra scans. But then doctors said to me, Caitlin, you don't want the extra scans because then that just means more anxiety for you, like more ways 100%. I could double check if something could go wrong, this and that. And I have friends right now who are pregnant at this age. Uh, now I'm – how old am I? I don't remember. I think – I, I want to say I'm 37, but I think I, I'm i 35 in my heart. So, like, you know, like, let's say,
2: like, I'm – Well, you know, you what? Know, Mariah Carey doesn't have birthdays. She has anniversaries. Mm-hmm. So maybe at this point in your life where the age clearly is, like, not that significant where you could forget mm-hmm. it, there's something else that this means to it you. Does. You know what I mean? I'm welcoming your lack of knowledge of your age. It's
0: so vague. It's so vague. And now my husband's age, he keeps going. And we are the same age. <laughs> so I know his age Plus I'm aware of. pandemic.
2: Pandemic. Pandemic, I think we all are allowed to, like, erase two years off whatever figure Pandemic
0: fucked me up too about like and my acting range i was like playing people in auditions until like early 30s and now my sister was like you are nowhere near 20s you could never play 20s and i was like don't say that to me out loud
2: that's don't really rude but that's really rude she's also
0: a casting director and i hope she casts me in something <laughs>
2: so i'm like okay <laughs> I was about to say, who is she and you're like oh she's slipping. literally that. she's herself. really
0: fancy oh. yeah she's pretty <laughs> high-end and um i ice- would love to be cast in anything, but I have friends that are in, that are like 38, 39, having children. Incredibly healthy friends. Friends that, when I was a child, 38 and 39, felt very old to me. These are people who I'm still like, we still don't know what a 401k is. Like, we're still just like young and figuring shit out, which, if you don't know what a 401k is, you're cool,
2: okay? <laughs> just saying. Well, here's the thing. There's a lot of things you're mentioning that are hitting for me. One is, Suspended adolescence is definitely a real thing for our generation where a lot of people, maybe in a previous generation, like I'm thinking of my parents' generation, by the time you were 25, the expectation was you were married and you were on a career track and that career would pay dividends by the end and you would have your house and your pension Mm -hmm. and your kids. And for our generation, I think there's been a lot more scrambling around about how to even get our sea yeah. legs. And then we're like hopping jobs more and we're, we have no savings. And,
0: and but you better be hopping jobs more. Like it's weird. There's this, yes. it's this attitude of like, well, if you stayed at a job for too long, like that's your fault. You better be, it's a liability. Yeah, you better be jumping up to the next level and next level, which, I don't really agree with, but I think people just say that to make themselves feel better and
2: reasons to get like paid well, I more. Think I don't know. The the career longevity doesn't exist in any path anymore. So there's no longer any incentive to stay. Like it used to be you would get a certain amount of incremental raise, and now that's just like not a guarantee yeah, at all. Not that. And the other thing too is that so like with the liberation of women not being, you know, told this is what you must do in terms of marriage and childbirth and all that. We are in this weird spot where like I know in living in L.A. and New York, an unbelievable amount of incredibly fully formed, beautiful, smart, funny, capable, self-sufficient women in their late 30s. And almost like the men are a liability to them. (laughs) Like they are not partnering because the men have not. And there's a wonderful book by Rebecca Traster. Well, she's written amazing have to read books. It. But this book, All the Single Ladies, is really about, like, how the rise of women from the feminist movement has catapulted them to the stratosphere. And men are kind of still just, like, blot irrelevant mm-hmm. toads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how now there's, like, too many important, forceful women in the world to ever partner with, like, the schmendricks <sighs> that are floating around. So I also think that's a thing where, like, we're talking about. So, for example, for me, so, like, I am turning 36. I have not found a person worthy of ever committing anything to in a contract for of sure. any kind nor sharing DNA Good. With, I'm glad. Let alone responsibilities. I would never glad. do that with anyone I've ever met. You can't
0: even show a heating bill. You don't need to share a child.
2: I'm sorry. I'm wiping the ass of a grown man. No, thanks. Or uh, how, am, how are we going to raise a child? No, they don't know how they're idiots so i'm at that point and then i'm like except for all of our great listeners (laughs) wait like no (laughs) because if they're men they're not we have like men are horrible i know i know i'm just saying i know they just really are but it's not their fault (laughs) it's because they were like raised to believe they were special but they're not and we were raised with too much humility
0: okay well i will say I don't want to be, like, one of those people that's, like, not all men, but I have found that the men in my life who are pretty incredible are because they've worked very hard to learn how to be different, I'll say.
2: Yeah, and then we are all, like, ugh, we're all, like, born perfect. I'm sorry. I am such— Women are born—no. I am, like, so sick of
0: men. I agree. No, (laughs) women are born perfect. That's fine. But I think that— what you're saying I completely agree with is that there is this attitude that, and it really, I think Judd Aptow really fucked us all over, but like there's this attitude of like, (laughs) you're so cute and silly and you're like this young guy trying to get by, like isn't it adorable that you're trying to do good? Whereas like women are like, oh, you're like in Knocked Up, like you're a newscaster woman who's crushing it. So sorry you have to pull yourself down to be with this like shitty Seth Rogen. And I, when I saw Knocked Up, I cried for like, 24 hours. I cried so loud. I cried in the movie theater. I cried on the subway. I was with Alan and his best friend, and he was so concerned. And I was like, this is my nightmare. Like, this is my nightmare to have a man that isn't brave enough to even, like, defend or have the balls to take care of somebody that he loves. Not that I need to be taken care of, but the expectation that women have to be such fucking girl bosses. And then – You can have these good old boys. But I will say, like, the incredible friends that I have or the people in my life that I – the only men I actually (laughs) respect and talk to are people that have gone, I'm going to go against that very easy, comforting, swaddled world that is, you know – this environment that everyone's telling me I'm just doing okay. I'm doing the best I can. I don't have to do any better. Right. And then that go like, I actually am going to challenge myself. It is very difficult. Growing up is hard. I think growing up is so fucking hard no matter who you are. And I think a lot of people are trying to get out of it. Yeah. You can have women that say like, well, I'm just like living my best life because they're like sunbathing every day and like drinking Kool-Aid and like don't think they have to do anything. And then you have men that the issue that we're talking about is that like they're not developing, they're not growing. Like there's so much of of that suspended adolescence in both cases. But I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, the people I really respect have made an extreme effort to go against the grain. I get that. And it's rare.
2: (laughs) And it's rare. And it's rare. And they're incredible. So then what's strange about that, too, is so, like, when I turned 35, the fertility industry came knocking at my door, begging me to freeze my eggs and spend upwards of, like, $40,000. I need to know all this. The men. I need to know all these numbers. The men have none of Mm -hmm, these pressures. mm -hmm. So like Alec Baldwin, Hilaria is having her seventh She's child having another one? She's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. God bless. <gasps> uh, Dios. Bless Oy, Dios. Yoy. She's at child number seven with him. He's a billion years old. So like. He already has all these other kids. Yeah. They can just keep going. But women have this point. Like, so I think it's really interesting that a lot of society's problems per usual come for women in the form of fear. Inadequacy. Capitalist. Techniques, inadequacy, and medical advice slash wellness slash self care slash feminism in this muddled gray area where you can't really parse out what's good medical advice and what's sound and what's like these are people just trying to take my money. Mm-hmm. So research does show that your egg reserves do yes. drop off after thirty five. Right. That yes. is, but they all they start dropping when you're like twenty five, oh, and yeah. then it's not like a line that goes straight down. It's just starting to dwindle. So my doctor at 35 was like let's do an AMH what which is, is a really it's a precursor it's just the ovarian reserve level they can test through your blood. It was free oh, through my wow. insurance. I paid no money. If your AMH is like really really high, you may have PCOS. You may have overactive ovaries. If it's low, you may have a lower amount of eggs in your reserve. So that's then the step you take to go, hmm, I guess maybe now I will do a more invasive ultrasound, which is when they go in and see how many eggs you have. I had a good AMH and it looked like I was in line with how many eggs a woman might have typically in these studies when she's like 25. So I felt that took a lot of pressure
0: off. You have like hot, young little ovaries. Just I have hot little ovaries. Sexy ovaries. Ready for some spring break.
2: So that's one part of it. And <laughs> then the other part is like the idea of quality eggs versus non. So you may have a good number, but as you get older, there's a higher likelihood that you will have eggs that are deformed or have some an abnormal, bad, quote unquote, yeah. an abnormal DNA. So that's normal. Like that does happen. I do think though, more and more women, because of this, What we're talking about, like, in your 30s not being where you're at, where it's time to have a child or, like, you're not necessarily wanting to. You don't necessarily have to freeze your eggs at 35 and then have a kid at 40. You can also go the path of potentially seeing if you can have a kid at 40, that is a very viable path. Like, that's no longer feeling like people in our generation stretching it too far. I'm seeing that more and more. And then the other thing on this that I think is so interesting is, like, the fear tactics they're using about how hard it is, to, which is a valid thing, how hard it is for many people to get pregnant and for the pain of miscarriage and how under-discussed that side of things is. It feels really scary, but also that can happen at any age. And because that's not part of the discourse, it becomes this scary like thing hanging over, over your head like, oh my God, yeah. I waited too long. I'm going to regret it. But I do feel like more and more I'm talking to women who have had miscarriages or have struggled with doing IVF and not having it be successful that, like, they also feel like all of this makes them feel to blame for what naturally happened. And so all of this stuff, this pressure, it's just so unfair to me that, like, all of this weighs on people with eggs when they turn thirty-five, and then it really feels I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it really feels like men are just skippity-doo-da, none of it. No,
0: they are. They are, they are. They're jumping to the head of the line, you know, coming however they please. But I think it's so important what you just said that like, okay, there's it's interesting to me that at thirty-five when they talk about all these other slight changes in your body, just slight changes, just like not as many eggs are available or a few of like the chromosomes aren't the tip-top shape, but it's not that bad. But the the second that anything slightly changes is when they bring on the boatload of all the other issues that comes with childbearing and having a child and conceiving and miscarriage. And it is not spoken from from somebody who has an – a pregnancy at 16 to 30, you rarely hear about miscarriages and you rarely hear because sure, like the odds are in their favor that their bodies are younger and they're going, things are working in a certain way, but it is common in women, like, and it is common to not be able to conceive right away. There's only like a 20% chance you can even conceive it. The, the, The contraceptive rates of naturally doing it and hitting the spot are so rare what i wanted to say was that so at 30 is like when all of the risks start and then everything else is piled on top of it so then for some reason you believe that when you're 35 all of these risk factors are huge but the risk factor has always been there it's only being spoken about at 35 maybe also women in 30s and 40s are just like hey bitches i'm going to talk about my experience i'm not afraid if i get if i have a miscarriage i'm not afraid if i can't conceive i'm going to help the other woman cuz there is something with women that i do feel that we are put in the society that you have to be good little girls. You have to keep your head down. You have to be quiet. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to give too much attention to you. Let nobody think you did anything wrong. And at a certain age, you're just like, honestly, everyone can fuck off. I'm doing the best I can. I am crushing it. I have reached this ceiling and I'm thriving and I'm not getting the credit I'm doing. I'm tired of being quiet for so many years or being well-behaved for so many years. And so I think like, it might be the, and the information is there, but I also think women at 35 and 40 are also coming forward to say, I'm sick of being silent about this. I'm sick of suffering alone. Like there's just, there's Mm -hmm. so much with the age. There comes the female experience, there comes exhaustion of being like controlled by, by medicine, being controlled by patriarchy issues. And so it does sort of snowball at this, like, crux at like 35 36 and I don't think it's fair to any woman and right. I'm sure you felt this Janie because this is like a lot of what you were, what your podcast is about too is that like there was this idea and it might still be the same way it might be in some cultures different but that like a younger mom is better than an older mom and I don't know how that can be true because Right. The therapy that I have had, the therapy that my husband and I have had, and that my friends have had, I know we are all better and will be better parents the older we get.
2: Oh, absolutely. You would rather have a parent who's a more fully formed person. Perhaps they had more ability in their career to gain leverage to be able to take off more time to be a present parent. Oh, really? like, we don't know all the circumstances. And I personally feel like... Yeah, the best parent is the parent who wants to be a parent and there's no good age. But if you're not ready, like, that pressure can really crack you. And I don't know. I just think, like, my mom was 38 or so when she had me, which was, you know, advanced maternal age for the time. But I remember talking to her about how it was so important to her to have a career. And she really didn't, like, regret having a kid older. I mean, it made it interesting. She got cancer when— Perhaps it was in terms of, like, my yeah. age. She passed younger than my peers' parents sure, passed. Sure. But that also was a cancer that was, like, uniquely, like, young for her. You know, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. like, an old age right. cancer. But for me, I don't know. I I am growing. I feel selfish. I feel happy that I am not tied to anything. Yes. And I am competing... There's, like, that competing pressure with the com- pressure of, like, this idea that your eggs are ticking
0: yes, time yes, bomb. Yes,
2: And also to your point about um, miscarriage, I think it's funny that movies like Knocked Up make it seem... And all TV shows make it seem like the first time you have sex, you will get yeah, pregnant. Yeah, right away. And yeah, that does happen to a lot of people. Sure. like They accidentally get pregnant. But... More likely, you're going to just get herpes. <laughs> and there's never been a movie about just a one-night stand just getting herpes. Like, why Let's are we acting it, like... Let's write it, Jamie. Let's write it. I think it's because these movies are written by they men. Are. They think their biggest fear is getting a woman pregnant and being financially liable. Like, Number that is one. the nightmare. Can you imagine if I got some bitch pregnant oh and had to spend money on the and kid? Stuck with them versus they walk around giving every woman chlamydia like it's nothing because
0: right. that's not a fear of theirs <laughs> you know it's like a pride thing
2: that's not a fear because it doesn't really have any long-term effects like the way it does for no. us where it just like you know only hurt another thing it only hurts us so going back to everything i want to touch on like some yeah, of the I stuff
0: care so much okay
2: so when you're 30 so i went to the doctor i was like by the way i'm 35 i'm feeling like here's this whole yeah bullshit being poured on me. She goes, here's a referral. You can go to the specialist, blah, blah, blah. So I start researching specialists. The first thing that struck me was the cost. Okay, I want to talk about the cost of egg freezing. When you just do the procedure to go from first you do an ultrasound to the retrieval and then there's, you know, you do the shots in between. So basically you're like overstimulating your ovaries. Then you're stopping ovulation, and then they do the retrieval. Okay. So there's three types of medicine that you take over the course of about a month. You have to keep going. A bunch of doctor visits, you go check in, but you're also administering the shots yourself throughout the month. So not including the medicine involved, not including those shots, just the process of going to the doctor the first time is a $350 non-refundable deposit. So if you just want to go talk <gasps> to different doctors and, and you just want to get a sense— $350. And none of this is covered by insurance. What? Unless The only time this is covered is if you work for a corporation like Facebook or Google that wants women to delay childbirth wow. for capitalist reasons. Wow. They'll cover a lot of this, but most companies don't cover any of this, and insurance doesn't cover it. So $350 for your consultation. So then, of course, at that point, you're like, I'll just go with the first doctor. I'm not spending yeah. it on a- – they're all grifters. I'm yeah, not going to it Yeah, I can't go – a- I
0: can't browse. I don't have the money to. The
2: cost will range from 4000 to 12000 And I also saw $15,000 just for that, not including medicine, Wow! just for that retrieval. Then you also pay for keeping your eggs on ice every year. That's another fee. Uh You're paying for like the, you know, cryogenic freezing, whatever. And then you're committing that on the other end of this process, you will do IVF. There's no way around it. So once you've done all this, and you know, IVF is like $40,000. So not all – and then the other thing is so sometimes the egg freezing, you don't get enough eggs the first round. You have to do it multiple times. And with IVF, it can be unsuccessful. And sometimes you have to do that multiple times. So it's an incredibly expensive procedure. There's also a medical risk. If you are prone to um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome or OHSS, which you really can't know before. No, no, no. You can really screw up your body by – Shooting your body up with more of these hormones. So, this seriously affects 3% of patients and it can even cause ovarian torsions. Your ovary turns over and it can be really painful and it can also cause serious medical damage and may even lead to infertility. So,
0: I think that's very important to talk about too. Uh, and really, all women have, because as you're saying, there was no way to test on this. It's like if I would say I would be nervous to do it if I had suffered like adverse reactions to birth control, you know, or if I had a really Mm -hmm, hard time going mm -hmm. off birth control or because I had like issues with one thing would work and one thing wouldn't and my body was so out of balance. I think that would be probably the only thing I could go on that that might be tricky for me, you know.
2: A hundred percent because you have to go off birth control and then you have to like do this. It's just a lot of ups and downs for your little body. And then the other thing, so like in terms of success rates so the egg banks are going to give you and the fertility clinics are going to give you certain data but also these these aren't medically sound data points they're giving you like research really varies it's hard to get good information so, for each frozen egg, what I've like read in more of the scientific side of this, and also this is just very understudied. So, not the TikTok side?
0: <laughs> not <the>
2: t- <laughs> really? Not that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's me. So, there's a 75% failure rate for wow. women age 30 and a 90% failure rate for women age 40. 90% um, failure vi- rate? Yes. So – and then if you go to IVF, there's only a 31% success rate after one retrieval. So if that's – I did my own estimate. I put my age in, my health, my risks, and I'm, you know, knock on what healthy 35. The CDC has, like, a calculator for how likely you are to have IVF be successful after one round. And mine was 31%. Oh my and I am a prime candidate. And so basically what oh. I was finding – and also only, like, 1% – After all is told, a lot of people don't even go back to get their eggs. They realize that maybe they, like, for someone in my situation, what they would have wanted is I freeze them at 35 and maybe retrieve them at 40 Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. like that. What they're finding is that more women are freezing them but then ending up getting pregnant um, without Mm it and or choosing a different route. So only 1% of the eggs that are frozen ever make it to becoming a baby. Really? Yeah. And also, this is all, like, way more new – Information. There's not a lot of studies because the way they do egg freezing, the flash freezing they do now, wasn't considered. It was considered experimental until 2012. So a lot of this data is happening as we're speaking. There just like isn't a lot of widely available information. So when I went to start researching these fertility clinics, something that really bothered me was like. There was one called Kind Body that's sort of like the Warby Parker of egg freezing. <laughs> like capitalism came crawling with the coupon. That's font. so funny. The yassified, yes, yes girl, girl, get those babies of egg in those jars. They offered me a Black Friday promo code no. for $400 off. I was like, oh, that's $400 you didn't need to take. And that's the promo code. They send out emails with emojis like no, little eggs and frying don't... pans oh, and no! cutesy cutesy. That's and you're so coming disturbing. to women. I'm in my most terrified, vulnerable, financially vulnerable place of my life. Horrible. And for this not to be considered a very serious medical, you know, intervention and to be treated as like the self-care wellness thing is And empowering. The idea that this is empowering, yes. On the one hand, it is, but it's also what we've talked about where it's the individual having to find solutions for larger societal problems. Like, I think there are larger societal problems. You're not, like,
0: shopping at Claire's for earrings. You're looking to your essence as a person, how you feel, how you look at your future, how you feel as a mother, as a woman, as, like, you feel that you're calling. This isn't some, like, shopping mall Photo booth. Oh,
2: God. A hundred percent. I think also it's just the reframing of it, of being like, can we all admit that this is incredibly nuanced, complicated, and unfair, and upsetting. the whole system is set up for us to fail? Because then it's a bit more liberating. Yes. It doesn't feel like I, as an individual, did nothing wrong. must now freeze my no, eggs. you did right. nothing wrong. We're just all in this situation. It's just the way it is. And also, raising children, I think you probably can speak better to, to this than I can, is also so unbelievably more expensive now than... It ever has yes. been like it just feels like everything is a lot harder, and these choices that are supposed to be empowering are also carrying these like incredible financial stresses. Well, exactly. I mean,
0: saying that is—I don't think it's—it feels comfortable for Alan and I to talk about like why we don't have any another child. Like at this age, like Lewis has a bunch. So Lewis is four, and he has a bunch of people. And a bunch of kids in his class that have second siblings and the parents are like our age you a year or two older and they have like one-year-olds as well and a lot of people we know they sort of look at you when your son or daughter is like three or four and they're like oh are you thinking of a second and everybody is sort of like this like everyone's doing it together and I have just started to say uh, we can't financially afford another child and it is a horrible thing to say out loud like Nobody ever wants to put like child and money in the same thing as if like money is more important or child's more important. Like that's that's not where I am. And 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 people will like say something to me like, oh, well, like people do it with pl- with plenty less money and this and that. And and it's fine, but like if once I actually start explaining like where we are financially, that like COVID hit my entire industry shut down. Um, Alan's a freelancing investigative journalist, like working right now on prison reform. Like we are living in an apartment that's very tight. You know, like and I think like if we had another child, it would add an amount of anxiety and stress in our lives that wouldn't mm-hmm. be a happy home. Like I think we we could make it work, like we could all up our antidepressants, like we could make anything work. We're holding off, which is also what's totally scaring me. Like, am I gonna lose my chance? Are my eggs gonna all like 100%. fall out of my body? I'm holding off to make sure I can just be a little bit more financially stable if we could have a dual income or something so that the pressure then wouldn't be so heavy on this house and heavy on my older son who suddenly he can't do anything he wants to do because we can't afford anything. And, and that's fine. I know kids shouldn't get what they want, but there is an element of like, nobody will, will speak of that. Like it's, it's almost heresy to say, I don't think we're financially stable to have another child. It's like, how dare you? you should be have, especially, oh my God, in the Jewish community, it's like, have all the babies. You have to have all the babies. Like, Babies are blessings, and they are blessings, and they do bring greatness. But I have felt that I've had to keep quiet the financial side of the reason why we're waiting for a second child if we do have a second child.
2: Okay. So first of all, I think it's so important to say that because we were talking earlier about stigma around being an older mother. And you're sharing the flip side of that, which is like also you are being a responsible person by considering the reality of what it's like to have a child in whatever circumstance the other thing is you know not to like glamorize back in the day but in other societies and the way that our biology was supposed to work there was supposed to be more help for mothers and there was supposed to be intergenerational care larger family units we were supposed to live in communities Mm -hmm. there used to be a sense that you weren't doing everything alone oh yeah So now all of this financial burden being placed on the individual is insane. It is. Like it is crazy. What you're saying is crazy. And another thing you're hitting that really bothers me is like when you are a woman or someone who has, who produces eggs, I should say, when you hit the marker of, oh, when are you going to get married? You do that. When are you going to have a kid? You do that. Then the next thing you get is when are you going to have another kid? When
0: are they going to get a sibling? When are you going to give them a sibling? When are they going to get a
2: sibling? There's always the next marker of the thing you're supposed to be hitting that makes you a bad mother, woman, wife, provider if you're not doing the next and thing. I agree. Like, a million people can like – I'm sorry. I was just it's saying, awful. Like, There's so many only children in the yeah. world. If you want another child, that's valid. But also you're not like doing a disservice yes. to this child by offering – what you can financially and your attention and all of the love you can give and space. Like, you live in a contained space. You have to move if you want them to have their own room, whatever. You're also doing a service to a child by giving them everything you have. So, regardless of how you feel, which is valid about wanting another kid, it's like, bizarre that it's positioned as like abusive to not have another child it makes me feel so
0: guilty I feel so guilty that I'm not able to provide Lewis with a sibling because I think he'd be so great with the sibling and everyone tells me you know how much with siblings you learn sharing firsthand you learn you have like a best friend for life and all this stuff and I feel deep guilt that I can't but I do know that if I you know being pregnant, I had postpartum depression. I took time off after Louis was born, and then COVID hit, and I had to take time off with my career. I know that for me myself, that if I continue, if I like this week decided like oh, I'm done with my career and I'm just going to focus on babies, I would be the most depressed, sad mother, and I would give him a sibling, but then he would like really lose an exciting, creative, alive mom. Like it, yeah. I, I could definitely turn my life over to baby making, which is fine. I think a lot of, not fine, but I think a lot of women have made that sacrifice or felt that they have had to. But in that sense of like, you know, I'm not living in my childhood neighborhood. We aren't choosing to kind of live in that very cozy, wonderful, supportive baby making center. Like we're choosing career right now. And so it feels very guilty that I am like auditioning for, you know, Fleischman's in trouble and I could be having another baby. But, uh, but everyone around me knows like you'd be incredibly depressed, Katie. Like I'd just be a, a very sad person.
2: A hundred percent. And a secret people don't talk about is how much wealth sometimes enables mothers to be able yeah. to pursue their yeah. career because they have help. At least one person uh, as a full-time child care provider. I've seen it, like, in my limited experience in Hollywood, it's so fascinating. Oh, because it's crazy there. I have seen just, it's impossible even with an unbelievable amount of money to make it work. It's just impossible. But also, it does even baseline entry require so much child care so that you can act as if you don't have a child yes. to become successful. yes. So there's an unbelievable amount that you're already, <laughs> that you have already sacrificed. That's the crazy thing, too, is after you
0: have a baby, everyone's applauding you if you look like you've never had a baby. Like, oh my God, oh look my at her. God. She doesn't look like anything grew in her and it had to come out of her. And it was a traumatic experience like all those other poor moms do. Like, it's like, yeah, I did not get hair and makeup done in my hospital bed because I had a baby and I wanted to document what it was like to have a baby come out of me.
2: Do people do
0: that? Oh, Jane, yes. Pre-COVID, Beyonce and was part no. of the trend. If you look at it, if you look up hair and makeup hospital, women would have hair and makeup specialists come to their Even
2: if they're not famous. Yes.
0: Yes, honey. And just take that first photo of the first time she meets her baby. She's in a full phase of makeup. And you'll see people go, Where's my makeup bag? And husbands would bring the makeup bag. Now thank God COVID has really shut all that down because it's like you got a mask on, you're lucky you're alive. Like it, it's incredible. It's a whole terrible way to give birth, but it has really shut down that trend because you can't have anyone in the room. But people would bring their mother, father, doula, and hairstylist.
2: Meanwhile, someone's down there stitching you up from butthole to vagina and acting like you're just trying to repair it's the true. big old hole you got. And upstairs, you're putting on your eyebrows. My son's
0: cord was around his neck. I'm not going to, like, put on my no! blush. Like, this was a tough day, guys. We're not going to oh beautify it. Oh, my God. It. How sick. It's true. That's sick.
2: It's true. But then that... Oh, my God. That's disgusting. And it come It is.
0: It's incredibly disgusting. And it comes with the whole trend of, like, how dare you look like anything of reality has happened
2: to you. I appreciate when celebrities are honest about the instant tummy tuck they get. They do. Because I think that's, like... It's one thing I I understand, like, especially if you're famous, you are commodified for your body and the pressures you face are tremendous. So I can't imagine how scary it is when you have been marketed as thin person. And all of a sudden you are now
0: women who just say, I'm not having the baby come out of me. I'm going to do a surrogate. I'm like,
2: I'm doing a surrogate. Fuck it. But like, so I think it was. Did you read Jessica Simpson's iconic memoir, Open Book?
0: I didn't, but I want to.
2: It's a must-read. I think it's up there with, like, Catch Her in the Ride. It should I'll be high it. school curriculum. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best books I've literally ever read. And she talks about how she got plastic surgery. She almost died from the plastic right, surgery, right. which is a whole other topic. But I appreciate the transparency because we just have to remember with celebrities in particular, everything they do and everything that we aspire to be about them is only because they're wealthy. There's mm-hmm. no other barrier to, like, becoming what they are. But there's also nothing special or... Like, actually, good about them inherently. Mm -hmm. They are just wealthier than us. So Mm -hmm. that's why they look the way they do and act the way they do. But I feel like none of that should trickle down to a person who has just given birth. Like, that just shouldn't be, we should not put that on ourselves. We've given them power over everything we do, we've given them our money and our insecurity and our fears. That giving birth being, like, the one thing we – I mean, what are we going to do? Put, like, makeup on when people are dying and start posting Probably. their, like, pass away yeah, glam?
0: Yeah, on to the new world, death glam. <laughs> well, and I yes. think, like – because what we're touching on right now is this, like, how many injustices are circling this concept of, like, motherhood and mothering and age? Mm-hmm. And, like, you mm-hmm. look like hell after you give birth. You look like – and you feel like hell while you're trying to conceive. Like, it's not easy. Like, nothing's easy, and I just don't know – well, it's all from the the um a male religious perspective, I really believe, of like women are not yeah. to be seen, heard, or you know, not to bother us and they are just there to do something and look pretty and do it nice and pretty. And the pressure that women feel to succeed in that way and to like fulfill that dream is just so ingrained.
2: Yeah. And how he rose from nothing to become New
1: York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Wait, so I want to know, though, Janie, how you are feeling now? How did you feel? So where are you? You have mm-hmm. eggs. How, can you go over like the numbers of the amount of money you spent and like what your forecast is for your, like what you're thinking now?
2: So I'm not doing okay, great. it. I have not spent a yes! dime because when I did, yes, <laughs> I did the AMH. I felt that that was a point and that was free. Great. And that was a point free. when I decided if this were a different number, if I had, had a different outcome, an alarming amount of low eggs at that point, I would have said, you know what? We're going to freeze mm-hmm. them. Mine as well. And I know also, I'm also not saying this to judge people who decide to do it. I fully understand it. And if I were in a different position financially or if it were covered by insurance, or I do know people who have had health problems come up or they have a scare or something like there's a million ways to do it. So I don't mean to say if if, each their own. But I'm
0: very happy you don't have to right now. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's what I feel.
2: That's what I feel. So I'm not doing it. I think if also the consultations were cheaper, I may have gotten sucked in. I think the idea that it would be $350 was a lot. And then when I was doing research and calling them, I felt like a cog in their machine. Yeah. I felt like there wasn't a lot of individual attention. Yeah. So, you know, they were get- sending me like automated voice messages from like their sales team. No thanks. It felt like buying no a car. Thanks. And the other thing that happened was while I was researching this, one of the most, you know, like lauded Southern California fertility clinics. There was like a People magazine article about how they accidentally implanted the wrong <gasps> eggs into people and were switched at birth. And these two people have been raising each other's children. Oh and I thought, wow, the level of care that these clinics are going through—they put more care in their fonts than they do <laughs> in their eggs. A hundred percent. I was really disturbed by that. So also, like, it, it raised a lot of questions for me. So you know, I'm. I am one of those people too who's not sure. Like, my future is very unclear. And I don't know necessarily if I have the biological imperative to have my own biological child, which I also understand is an incredibly valid and for many people, incredibly unignorable mm-hmm. thing. For me, I don't know. Like, I could see myself having a child that is not my DNA and being happy. Yeah, okay. I do think I want a child. Okay. I also fear the world. I'm one of those people who's like, uh, let's see how the next few years pans out. I don't have career traction. I don't have stability. I don't have a family supporting me. I don't have a partner. I don't have anything. So part of it is liberating to be like, I have no ties. But also, I don't feel at all like I have a sense of what the next
1: Mm -hmm.
2: two, five, 20 years of my life look like. So... There's just a lot of questions. I do look at children and think, wow, I think I want Mm -hmm. one. And also, I had such a wonderful relationship with my mother that I would love to replicate some piece Mm -hmm. of that dynamic. I thought it was so sacred. But I, like, don't see that happening anytime soon. So that's sort of where I'm at now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. And I also think sometimes I think I should just have, like, an anchor baby in Portugal Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and call it a day. Mm Like, that is the obvious way to weaponize this not knowing, Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. just to decide where I want to go and then just get pregnant (laughs) there. Yes. Yes. Although, Mm -hmm. I don't know if they have anchor babies in other countries.
0: I don't know. I would say, I say, like, sperm donor baby all day long.
2: Oh, that brings something to mind. That's
0: what I would do all day, every day. Because you can, like, pick the guy. Wait, (laughs) did you know there's, like,
2: egg freezing... Oh, but my dad was a sperm donor, and he was the most psychotic person I've ever met. Oh, and did you meet him though? That's fascinating. My dad, my dad. Yeah. Oh no, he wasn't. Just- oh, <gasps> that's so funny. He donated sperm to other oh, okay, people. Okay, okay. Like when he—that's so funny. No, oh my God. So he, um, he was a medical student at the time, and so to make extra cash, he was a sperm wow. donor. And I always think, like on paper, he was probably really impressive because he was a doctor, but he was truly. Like, unhinged. And I think about how little, like, that's also one of my fears about having a biological child is that I would carry his DNA because he was so So unbelievably Mm -hmm. insane. We have great meds, though, now, you know? Yeah, but some are unmedicatable, Mm, like my father. Um, I do think some of those things you can't screen. You can't screen some mental illness in the DNA. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to raise someone like my father. Not for me. That's true. That's true. But um, you can do medical tourism and you can get your eggs like, frozen in another country. And my friends was sending me this, and I was laughing so hard. Because, yeah, it's, like, cheaper in another country, but you're paying to live in another country for a month, and then your eggs are in some crazy country. Mm -hmm. So, like, what happened? Oh, my God, there's so many weird ethical things that come up, too, because... if something goes wrong. Let's say... Something goes wrong. Let's say you die. What happens to your eggs? What happens if the facility holding your eggs burns down? What happens? Like, there's do its crazy. Do you—wait, I won't spoil it. Spoilers. But there's, like, an interesting plot point in Succession. Do you watch that show? Oh, no, I don't watch it and I won't watch it. Okay. Uh, well, then, the, it's not really a spoiler, I guess. But there's an interesting plot point brought up where someone tries to get someone to freeze the embryo instead of an egg because legally then the father has the financial, like, in on that future child. Like, then they own steak because— It's one thing to freeze an egg, it's another if you freeze an embryo.
0: You know what I mean? So, an embryo is involving two people, theoretically. An
2: embryo is sperm and egg already implanted in Mm -hmm. one another. So, you can put that on ice too. And then you can decide, we're going to implant this and save the two. It's like two people going, okay, we know that this baby will exist, but just not now. We're going to put the actual pregnancy on ice. But all this is so expensive surrogacy, adoption, all of it is so prohibitively expensive. So I don't know, like I don't know where I'm at, but I do feel like it needs to be discussed more. more. And I wish that the industry would not act, well, of course they're gonna act this way. It's all capitalism. But act like this is a one hundred percent empowering decision you make. You go girl. Yeah, it's you all can on your shoulders. Well it's always yeah. on the
0: women's shoulders. It always has been. And it is when you have the baby, it is when you're give, when you're delivering the baby. It's it's it is all on the woman's shoulders. And there's so much of motherhood and parenting that is so isolating for mm-hmm. women. I will say there's something really freeing my mom said to me that it is it will never be 50-50. It will never be equal for um a mother and father. Like you can you can mm-hmm. separate as much as you can as tasks and stuff. And she goes, but at the end of the day, like the baby was in your body used your organs, came out of your body, and babies go to mothers instinctually because it's like a home. It's coming back home to them. It's beautiful. Um, But she was like, let go of the anger or the frustration with whomever your partner is to say like, it has to be equal because it just, it can't be equal and that's okay. Like some things aren't going to be as balanced. And like when you sort of understand the fact that like the the labor of it, the stress of it, the pain of it, the joy of it, you know, the, the, the elation you get from it, it'll never be exactly the same. It'll always be different for the mother. And it, in a lot of cases, harder or deeper or special or touching, whatever that is, it, it will always be different. So not to look at it like it's a, like a pie chart, because it, it, it isn't going to be, that. it's like two different charts. And you hope that your partner understands and can have compassion for you and you both are seeing each other as parents on your own separate pie charts but like the concept that it should be equal is more deteriorating I think for women because it's denying the reality of like it just can't be equal it's not going to be equal The, the struggle of infertility is not going to be equal like and it was interesting my mom wasn't like she was looking at it not as in like Yes, damn capitalism, and yes, damn the industry and medical science that is so slow. But she was also looking at it as in physically, like you are housing. If if you choose to have a baby, you know, using your own body, you are housing that baby. There's no way it can be equal. There's no way you're you're going to feel a baby kicking or a baby moving, or you're going to feel like burping, and you're going to have issues, or the baby gets hiccups. There's no way the father or the the spouse, the partner, will ever feel that. And to them, it's unfair and unequal because they wish that they could be a part of that in a lot of ways. You know, if you're lucky to have somebody that is involved and happy and like wants a child as well, it it is unequal to them. You know, they won't get that experience. So my mom was sort of like, it very much helped me. And I've always said this to new mothers, like try not to make it a 50-50. There's so much that we as women, as Brilliant feminists, like, want to have things be equal. Yes, get me the salary pay. (laughs) Uh, Like, get me – get the salary gap out of the way.
2: Am I post-feminist if I feel I have zero expectation on a male partner should a woman decide to have a biological child? Like, I have zero expectation. I think and assume they will do nothing. So that might be post-feminist.
0: I'm not sure. And I think it's also, like, because the person – I think it depends who whoever your partner is, like, they're – the way they are with you. Like, do they – are they rude to your waiter? <laughs> you know, like, would they – if a kitten hurt its paw, would they help you? Because you're giving them the ultimate meal. It's true. You trail. are. So, like, you – that's sort of the thing of, like, are they assholes to their mother? Like, they, like you want to look at somebody in the whole scope of things. But I will say that, like – freeing yourself of that stress that it has to be 50 50 and just going like it it, there's no way it can be 50 50 there's just no way you're housing the baby you're bringing the baby into the world it can't be 50 50 you both we're going to do the best that you can if you have a if you're doing it with a good person that is like i don't know and my mom looked at it in a great way of like that's we get the beauty we get the joy we get the like feeling of like a baby growing inside you
2: I think that's true. There is a flip side to that of everything I have felt. In my biological body's experience, the burden and the joy of it, the depth of it, I would say, is like, does feel like it's both good and bad. And I think also what you're saying, there will never be 50-50. There will also never be a perfect time to have a kid. There will never be a right way to do it a wrong way. All of the things that people tell you that work for them also are so specific to circumstance that I just feel like sad that anybody feels guilt for doing it wrong when there is no right or wrong and everyone's like really quick to project I feel I don't know I want to get rid of the guilt and shame that
0: I have for not having a second child I'm I think I really want to get to a place where I don't feel guilty or that I've done a disservice to Lewis or to Alan or to like my family my parents like that they don't have more grandchildren like I feel this incredible amount of pressure on all sides that I'm not reproducing more children because I also, I love kids. So there's that thing of like, I would be great with lots of kids in a house. Like I, when I was a child, I would imagine I imagined myself having, when I'm a mom and I have five kids, we're going to have a big, huge house. We're all going to play and everything. And, you know, I didn't expect myself to be writing my own pilot and auditioning and hoping to move to LA <laughs> and get a writing job and things like that. Like I, I didn't think I'd write a book. Like there's just things that I didn't expect. So there's that like childhood expectation that's very immature uh, but very uh-huh. ingrained in me that I'm so great with kids. I love kids. I should have lots of kids. And I that's not really in the cards for me right now. And I don't really want that right now. Like, if I really wanted yeah. a ton of kids and a big house, I guess we'd move. But
2: I think we're at a particular age where there are certain timelines that all intersect, unfortunately, at the same time. Yeah. The pressure yeah. of career, stability, yeah. child, marriage, all these things kind of happen at once. And, you know, there's that old thing like, can women have it all? And the answer is like, obviously, no, no. they just can't. If they have a lot of money, it's easier to get more pieces of every pie. But you're never going to get it all and you're never going to get all like the, the timing you're supposed to. And I just, to.
0: I want us to just be settled with that. Like it, it that is the fact, yeah, like yeah. that's the thing too. Like I want us to just feel settled with like, it's not, and I think I think Facebook, TikTok, everything is doing such a disservice because they're showing us of these people are showing us like parts of their success. And they're like, "Look how successful I am!" and I did it all, and I did it all in five minutes. And this extreme home makeover was done in two seconds on my you know TikTok page. But I think that just sitting with like I can't have it all. It's not going to be all shiny and glittery or look good or at the same time, and that's okay. I can still be happy.
2: A hundred percent.
0: I feel like we're we're told that we are fooling ourselves if we're happy, if we don't have it all. Like there's this weird feeling of like, if I'm satisfied that I must be doing something wrong.
2: Because also then you get the flip side of like, there's judgment no matter what. So I also am on the TikTok thing of I'm single and it's like these women complaining and they're 29 worried about hitting 30 and being single. It's like, oh boy. Oh boy. So there's so many different forces there that we were like, oh boy. But I also think there's like, In that whole world, the single versus partner, I know that there's a lot of flip sides to that. You can be very lonely in a partnership. You can be very fulfilled alone. You can have some nuance in the middle. All this stuff has nuance. And I think, like, yeah, all of the narrow advice about where you're supposed to be, I think especially the pandemic showed how BS this all is, how women – and mothers are treated so horribly by the workforce. Yeah. Everyone's disposable. I think now is a really good time to just reassess. And everyone just sort of get together. We're going to write a new contract. I would love it. Take the pressure off. Like, it's all good. Everything's fine. I, I know.
0: I want that. And I wa- I'm hoping that, like, for your, for this podcast, that not only can your guests help you also to, like, debunk all these things that they've had in their but I want you to, like, to release all of the stress of your own, like, age- Timeline panic fear that is so there.
2: Oh my God. I want to with all of us. us. It's so funny because you also, it's like truly, it does strike me that you are the person who I'm talking to who has hit these timeline markers X, Y, Z, and yet there's still another thing. So to like believe Panicking. that you can finish the checklist yeah. of all of the jobs, there's gonna be another thing. There's always gonna and, be And thing.
0: I have family members, you know, My sister and I have like very different journeys and I look at her and I'm like, it's interesting. I'll say with like romance and love and stuff like that, the other part that is such a sham is that the onus is put on like the women like you're supposed to have it by now. And if you don't have it by now, what's wrong with you? It was just literally sheer luck that I – met my husband, and became obsessed with him. And then he also agreed he liked
2: me back. And he was a good guy. Because I feel I could have, like, definitely been married by now. But I would be married to someone who sucks. Like, that's not like, oh, it's never been an option. It's never been on the table. It's just like, no, I've only known people who are horrible. But here's the thing, Jeannie.
0: I really sucked when I was younger. This is a crazy thing, too, is that there's, like, this other element of, like, when everybody was coupling up to marry forever. Like, they – I had to get sober and, like, realize that, like, I had a drinking problem and I was very chaotic and I wasn't, like, a great partner in certain ways. Like, it drives me crazy for women that are friends of mine, close friends, family members who are in their 30s and are making themselves feel bad for having, like, very healthy, beautiful standards and for taking care of themselves so well. Because the other side is that, like, I know friends who are married and now divorced who had these, like car crash, quick marriages, slow, slow burning marriages, and were very unhealthy, but decided that they wanted to have like all their ducks in a row at that time. So yes, you can check off that they got married, but you can also check off that they got divorced. You can also check off that they have like child custody issues. Like the judgment that I feel that my friends have for not getting married young is also at the same time those were women I really loved and respected who put themselves first and weren't going to sort of like you were saying just be with some horrible guy or that they weren't ready to get married yet. Like that's why I feel like for me and Alan it was this really amazing fluke kind of accident. We both were very young and then we both decided to get better and do the health and the therapy and continue to work on ourselves as people and do very hard work together. But there was a chance that either one of us could have been like, I'm not going to work very hard for you mm. or or this mm-hmm. relationship is not worth me working hard and growing. And the years that you grow between 20 and 30 are either for the better and for incredible success, or they can be imploding, or you can grow really healthy and be a single. And because you're working on yourself.
2: Or between 20 and 30, you can avoid ever doing any work. You could only do drugs and never feel and avoid any sort of responsibility. But one day it'll wake you up. So you're saying it's like a choice when you do it and if you do it with someone else. But there's not a sense that you have to meet a partner when you both are like fully formed, perfect individuals. There's also the growth you can do together, which I, I think, think is very lovely.
0: There is the growth and I mean that genuinely is what happened with my husband and I like we had the growth together. Like we we would not be here now if we weren't growing. We grew during COVID. Like we had tough tough times. And people always say that in relationships I never really understood until like we were just struggling. And it's not like people say like oh I'm sure that there for other people there's infidelity or there's cheating and stuff like that. But for us it was just like depression and sadness and struggle and our careers shutting down and like our values as people and anxiety. Like it was just, we had life that we had to figure out. But what I want to say to to any of my friends who are older and haven't found that person just yet, that like you were doing an amazing job taking care of yourself, whether you're doing it with a person Mm -hmm. or not, you're doing an amazing job. Like, I don't think you should look back and say like, oh, I should have had, I should have been married by now, or I should have had this by now because- you shouldn't look at yourself and say like, oh, I did something wrong in my 20s. <laughs> you guys have were incredible and you did something really healthy and really strong and you took great care of yourselves and you made decisions to not be in certain relationships that maybe wouldn't have worked for you or wouldn't have been healthy or would have put you in a great disadvantage now. It's this feeling that there's a judgment on anything you do. You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. Like yeah, you made the best decisions that you could at that time in your life to get you to be a healthy person, period, whether it's with a partner or mm-hmm. not with a partner. I, mm-hmm. the luck of it, the, the the chance of it that I met my partner and we got healthy together is like incredible. But like you could also be healthy by yourself and the chances that you figured it all out by yourself and it was not distracting in any way and you got your health on your own. Like that's sort of the tough thing is that people, because somebody else decided Again, I think it's some religious institution <laughs> decided in the 1700s that women have to get married at this time, have babies at this time, and and have this sort of like plot along your life that they decided that's how it's supposed to go. We put that pressure on ourselves if we're good or bad. But the bottom line is that we're both trying to grow as better people and we both mm-hmm. want to mother, but we both are also mm-hmm. creative <laughs> women who want to live a fulfilled life. We don't want to feel stifled right. and feel imprisoned by these other pressures right so it's 100 i just i don't i don't want any of my friends family members anyone to feel that the incredible work they did on themselves when people it looked like other people were connecting up or getting married and everything that like that isn't the incredibly valuable because you're gonna look Mm. you're gonna still be with yourself when you're 60 70 you know partner or no partner like Are you going to have to then have, like, a midlife crisis at 50 and decide everything you thought was a lie and have all this guilt and then finally work on yourself? Or did you work on yourself in your 20s, crush it at 30, and who knows what's going to happen for the rest of your life?
2: Isn't that so true? That's so profound. And that's also, like, the thesis statement of sex and the city of, like, which is so beautiful, which is, like, the most important relationship is the one you have with yourself. And your friends— are also and like diners. Your soulmates. You sit at a diner. You you, know, those and you sit at a diner and then you have like a weird spin-off yeah. that's a perfect show. Yeah. But I do think that is also so like you're hitting something that I think is like a beautiful – and I know we have to wrap up. Mm-hmm. It's like a beautiful place to sort of leave yeah. where I'm going to be thinking about okay. this. I think as people who are raised women, we spend our whole lives being seen by other people, being perceived, being judged, being looked in on. And we don't have the thing – that typically boys are raised with to see out. We see ourselves being seen. Mm-hmm. We are perceived. Mm-hmm. And I've like talked to psychologists about this because I think it like really affects young girls and the way they perceive themselves like, through Instagram and they perceive themselves through social pressure. And we're just raised to be perceived. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is like a reclaiming of the idea of looking outward and reclaiming your relationship with yourself as the most important longest term relationship you're going to ever have. Mm -hmm. So of all the markers you hit and of all the timelines you're not adhering to, if you are in a happy, healthy relationship with yourself, that's like the one thing no one can take away.
0: Yes, and the one thing you're always going to work on.
2: You're mm-hmm, always going to mm-hmm. have that.
0: Like you're always going to be working on your happiness, your anxiety, your depression, your your inadequacy, your judgment. You will. That's not going anywhere. So you can work on it. That's so beautiful. at any point in your life, and you can you can have worked on yes. it in your 30s, 20s, 70s. Like I think I think that the idea of like the sage old grandmothers, there's like they have this pause and they've had this amount of time in their lives where they have kind of like the chaos and the child raising and the expectations are gone and they can, they can do what they want to do and they are happy and can take care of themselves. That is what I hope for everyone. I love to achieve earlier in their lives that they don't have to wait until literally everything's has shut down and they've retired to, to find peace and joy and value. Like why let's have that now. And, and that involves like appreciating the work you've done so far, not going like, why haven't I, why aren't I married already? Why don't I have kids already? Why don't I have, we need to, like, why don't I, I Lewis has siblings already? Like, well, because I'm doing very hard work right now.
2: (laughs) And that's okay. I love that. And that's valuable. And it doesn't necessarily look like the thing you can post on Instagram or the thing that's going to be on a Wikipedia page. But that's, it doesn't matter because that stuff is all for the other. It's not, that's all for being perceived. What are the things when you look at yourself that are important and the things you can say, these are things I, these are achievements that only I know about because that's what, that's really what matters. I love that. That's a really good reframing. I'm
0: I'm so glad because I love also you saying of how we look at how we're received, which is huge. Like that's a huge thing. And, and it, it takes like a beat and takes us out of our bodies and out of our genuine experience because we're like, yeah. oh, wait, but how yeah. is somebody else looking at me? So we're looking at ourselves at like a, from a bird's eye angle, which 100%. is exhausting and takes a lot of
2: work. And it's also this thing of needing to be liked. It's so, it's so horrible. Like, I have talked about this with people about how on dates sometimes you don't even think, do I like this person? Because you just think, oh, but do they like me? And... At work or in social situations, you can't ever have an authentic experience if you're only worried about reading the person's body language and figuring out how to make them like you. Like, that's just... Or
0: reading the body language uh, and are they going to stab you with that steak knife? Like, there's a lot yeah, of things you got to yeah, read yeah, as a woman. It comes
2: from a very real place. You know? It comes from a very real need to survive and get by. And I fully have done it in a, you know, like when you're doing it out of fight or flight. Yeah, Like, that's very real. That's <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. it. But yeah. That's That's like a survival instinct. It's a very healthy thing. But also it can overfire and we forget, oh, I'm allowed to have an opinion. I'm allowed to see the world through my eyes. If I'm being mistreated, maybe this person sucks. Maybe I don't deserve it. Totally.
0: Totally. You know? And I think like, I don't know. I'm wondering if we're going to look back right now at this time in history of like a time that a lot of women just said like enough already. Because there is this element of like historically where we are saying enough is enough. And so does that. Is as a result, does that mean that there are more, you know, single parents? Are there more, like, women not having sort of, like, the, the Catholic impression of, like, what a family life should be? Like, is this a change and shift for women that are just actually finished with it? Which is kind of incredible. I don't know. It is incredible.
2: It is. It's very, it's scary. It's liberating. And it's also exciting because I do think – When you don't care anymore, then you can start to really start to see things through your own eyes.
0: Yes. Like, let's be 70-year-olds right now. Like, I want to be the old lady who's like, it's all good, baby. Like, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm going to go on the cruise by myself if I need to.
2: (laughs) A hundred percent. That's very liberating. And, like, letting go of, like, we were talking about to tie it into the beginning – you don't need to lose weight. Don't. Let go of that one. I'm going to let go of that all 70 those oils. That 70-year-old you is not taking weird oil. I'm she's sorry. Not. She's not. She's off that algorithm. She's not buying oil on Amazon. She's not on no. TikTok. No, no, no. No, no. She loves her little body because it works so
0: hard. <laughs> she does. She is doing yoga. When I think of myself, I hate yoga so much, but I have envisioned myself as a senior citizen who's really into yoga. Even though I hate yoga, and if you ask me to do it, I will do a uh, child's pose the whole time? Because whenever they say, if you want to, you can just lay down. It. I'm like, that. I'm laying down, That I'm
2: not doing it. <laughs> I hate yoga. Well, the thing about yoga is, that's also been, that's a whole other topic as a scam. That's been co-opted it. beyond by capitalism. But the idea of yoga, as far as I know in my little white mind, is it's not supposed to be, oh, I'm the most flexible. I'm the best at this. I can move my body this way. It's about like breathing and being present it's a great physical exercise, but really there's this, like, hugely important mental, emotional, spiritual component that gets lost for the, like, I'm going to the hottest room and I'm going to sweat off all the pounds. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. no, if you're doing yoga, you are doing yeah. yoga. That's all that's you're all doing. So I know. I think you're great at yoga if you do thank yoga.
0: You. I don't. Um, No, that's amazing. Uh, Jenny, I think this is great. I'm very excited for your podcast. I know that our listeners. Thank you. I love your podcast. Oh, you. I know our listeners are going to adore it because also anytime we talk about this, we have a lot of incredible new moms, actually.
1: Ooh. Yes, these
0: amazing women during quarantine, uh, during COVID, either getting pregnant, just having babies, in the early stages of motherhood, their kids, and their home, and they are—they love talking about this topic because it is so isolating. There's not even like you can't even connect right now. So I'm so happy we get to do that.
2: I love it. And if anyone wants to be a guest on my podcast or can recommend one, I'm finding, like, these aren't the people who have the shiniest social media presences a lot of the time. Basically, anyone who has thoughts on the quote-unquote timeline and has subverted it is who I want to talk to. Like, the woman who at 70 takes up yoga or the woman who has a child at 50. Like, I just am having trouble finding people who aren't the (laughs) quiet, patient, like, older person who is… Our producer. producer. Okay, okay, perfect. perfect. Get on Cause, it. because yeah, i I talked to uh, a Hollywood person who was very interesting. Um I'm talking mm. to a person who dealt with being trans um mm. that somehow like you then have the timeline plus a new timeline, right, blah, blah right. blah. Like I'm talking to interesting people. So anything that sort of hits a light bulb on this topic, I would love to discuss.
0: amazing. amazing. Jamie, thank you so much this. for having me. Because what a joy. So and Janie, I want you on all the time. Like I know you're doing your love own podcast be. but I want you on here all the time. I would love to be. Any type of I mean I love a scam. I know. Let's do it more. Like let's have like a monthly thing. <laughs> I would know? love that. Scanwell Podcast Season Two is produced and edited by me, Caitlin Brodnick. Produced and edited by Caitlin Moltenhauer and edited by Jesse Karen. We are part of the More Banana Podcast Network, which is an all-female owned and run network for women's voices uninterrupted. If you love us, the best thing you can do is rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. It will help us tremendously. Thank you guys so much for listening. All of your support, we're so happy to have you here, and we will see you next week. Bye!